Alpha Podflight, where every episode a guest joins me to talk about a single issue of the comic Alpha Flight. My name is Gareth A. Hopkins, and this time I'm joined by Sean. Sean, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, hi, I am Sean. I am in Phoenix, Arizona in the United States, and uh, I'm a lifelong Alpha Flight fan, which I, I don't know if I should admit that super <laughs> willingly, but uh, I, have, I guess I'm in the right place for it. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, so one thing that I ask guests uh, when they come on the podcast is what their history is with Alpha Flight. So you say you're a, a lifelong Alpha Flight fan. Yeah, I am. And I started Alpha Flight the way that no one should have started Alpha Flight. I actually began with issue 12, which, uh, spoiler alerts, is the death <laughs> of a major character. And I, I was a, I was a really young. I, it was really early in my collecting career. So I was still collecting off of spinner racks. Like I would go to convenience stores and, you know, you just, you kind of bought whatever was available. You couldn't, yeah. there was no comic book stores near me. And, and I, you know, I would, I would just see a cover. It seemed interesting. And I remember, I, I actually vividly remember I walked into, we have a, a chain of, of convenience stores called 7-Eleven. Yeah. Which is based on, yeah, I don't know if you, yeah, if you guys have them, they're based on gambling because everything in America is, is puerile. Um, so we, um, I walked in. And uh, I remember seeing the cover because it's pink. It's all pink and it's got these targets on it. Yeah. And it has all the different members of Alpha Flight, you know, in in, the, in each target. It says, you know, one of these people will die. And I was like, oh, I'm in. Like, if, if you're guaranteeing me on the cover, you know, I'm, I'm a, I guess, a future a little juvenile delinquent. I'm like, if you're guaranteeing me a death, then I'm, I'm you know, here, take my money. And I bought issue 12. And, you know, and I didn't know who the characters were. I didn't know like the character who dies. I had no idea who he was and yeah. you know why it was such a resonant death and you know and the, the fight between Alpha and Flight and Omega Flight. I didn't know the history behind it, but it was so well crafted and and you know obviously John Byrne is you know a, a top four comic book artist of all time and it was so well drawn that I was immediately taken. I mean immediately taken in and I started collecting Alpha Flight from twelve on and then about a year or two later. I moved to a, a new city, and that city had a comic book store. It was the first yeah. time I'd ever even seen a comic book store. So it was the first time I ever knew that back issues existed. <laughs> yeah. And I was—I really did. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know you could actually go back and get issues. And I remember discovering that. And so some of the first back issues I ever bought was was back filling Alpha Flight one through eleven. So so yeah, I started with a big death, and it's been uh, it's been a good adventure since then. <laughs> yeah. Now that, that um, I started with nine because uh, I bought um, Alpha. Uh, um, relatively recent. So, um, in the last few years, I bought um, the trade paperback of Alpha Flight Classics in a discount store here, just because it was cheap and it was comics. Um, and then, yeah, so twelve was included in that, and and it was around that time that I got hooked. Yeah, and thirteen as well. Thirteen blew me away the first time I read it. So, uh, yeah, that terrified me as a kid. Yeah, I, I remember that that issue, the the skeleton, you know, coming out. As as a kid, I was like, wow, this is really graphic. Like this is really. It was it, it burned in. I mean, not pun not intended. <laughs> it, it, it burned into my memory. What's, uh, what's quite good what is that you're the only second. You're the uh, only the second person who's made the burn pun. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you're gonna get sick of that one after a while, right? You're gonna be like, yeah, haha, burn, burn, got it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I was so proud the first time I noticed it though. Um. <laughs> uh, right. Um, so. Uh, after that first run, did you carry on reading then up and like, have you carried on collecting Alpha Flight or did you stop at any point? So I, I was in, I was hooked and I, like I said, I bought issue 12 off the racks and I was able to, to piece together 12 onward all the way up through, you know, burn leaves. Uh, I think issue 28 or 29, he and the, he and Bill Mantlo and Mike Mignola, the team on the Hawks just switched books, which was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and Bill Mantlo takes over at a certain point and it becomes effectively a horror comic and i stayed through all of that i even stayed through and this is like a, again a weird like not i, I know there's like a thing called you know a humble brag this is not a humble brag it's whatever the reverse of that is it's like a self-deprecating brag i guess um i actually stayed through the james hudnall run and i i, I it is the most derided run in, in alpha flight history and i have a secret place in my heart for it i actually kind of love it in a weird way <laughs> so I, I stayed all the way through i stayed through hudnall i stayed through up until issue, I believe I was there for North Star when when uh, North Star came out. Yeah. So that was one of six, right? Yeah. And I, I 
for a while after that. Yeah, Scott Lobdell took over the book. And I think I collected until about – I think I dropped the book maybe five issues before it ended. Right. And so eventually when I realized it ended not long after I had stopped it, I went back and got those issues. And then and then weirdly, I've bought every iteration since. I mean I – you know, even as even the recent – somewhat recent like Marvel Chaos War reboot where they kind of put the original team back together. Hmm. Yeah, so I've been in. I, I, I actually own every issue – now that I think about it, I own every issue of Alpha Flight. So, yeah, I've, I've been in since issue 12, and like I said, I backfilled to one. So, so, so I guess I'm kind of a lifer. Yeah, I, yeah, impressive's not. I don't know if that's a word I would use. I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's it's fanatical like me or you like, could use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. This is a place where that can be considered impressive, unlike any other realm of my life. <laughs> um, I mean, well, yeah, I am not that into it yet. So um, I've got the the John Byrne run in trade, and then I've got just been picking bits and pieces as I've gone, and I've got more than I've read, if that makes sense. So I've bought the back issues and haven't oh, yeah. got around to reading them. So in terms of starting this pod flight, it was basically because I was so, um, as a as a comics creator myself, I was so inspired by Burns' work on it um, that I, I would just bring it into conversation when it was totally inappropriate. So we'd be talking about something entirely different, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh yeah, it's like uh, Burns are on an alpha flight, and people wouldn't know what I was talking about. So I thought I'd start a, pod, uh, a podcast where I could um, excise all that extra chat. <laughs> <laughs> take take all that knowledge and make it useful. Yeah, yeah that, that's actually the, I think what podcasts are for. Actually, I think that's a really good point. I, I find it I honestly I find it fascinating that that you're so drawn to burn because your work and and this is the point in the podcast where I, I admit I've stalked you a little bit. Your work is so like beautifully abstract. Yeah. That I I'm I'm really that actually that's fascinating to me because I'm I'm not an artist at all. I I, I have no artistic ability. And so it's it's fascinating to me that somebody whose own work is is so abstract in in really fascinating compelling ways would be drawn to somebody so clean like Byrne is such a I don't I, he just he, he seems like your polar opposite I, I just it's, it's, I'm what what draws you to him um, I think it's uh, his storytelling um, so he's yeah. got that cleanliness um, and uh, efficiency. Um, and he obviously gets more efficiency as he as he does more issues. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's how much he does with a page, um, at least in these early ones. Um, yeah, I, uh, and I've still not really worked it through. So I grew up reading 2000 AD, so I've done a lot of my work has been based on 2000 AD. Uh, the British anthology comic. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with it at all. Oh, very familiar, yeah. Yeah, so that that's where uh, a lot of my work started from. And I've done bits and pieces based on on John Byrne's stuff. Um, but it's something which uh, I've got to work out, really. Uh, because although I make art comics, I only really read superhero comics. Uh, and at the moment, I only read superhero comics from the 80s and the 90s. So, uh, yeah, that's just where <laughs> I am. Um, okay, so that's that bit out of the way. Let us start with the issue that we're talking about today, which is number one, the double-sized dynamic, sorry, the first dynamic double-sized issue, which came out in 1983. It was created by John Byrne, lettered by Joe Rosen, coloured by Andy Yankus, edited by Danny O'Neill, and approved <laughs> approved by Jim Shooter. <laughs> um, okay, perfect. So if you could give us uh, a synopsis of the issue, uh, and then we'll focus in on the bits which are particularly interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So the issue, it's called Tundra with an exclamation mark. So I have to make sure to say it very emphatically. <laughs> and it opens oddly, it opens really oddly on an empty room. It's it's Vindicator. Uh, James McDonald Hudson is standing in the remnants of Department H. So Department H is the Canadian government institution that founded Alpha Flight. Um, it's it's superhero, sort of militaristic superhero program, for lack of a better term. And Alpha Flight spawned out of that. And it's it's actually H4 Hudson. So So Vindicator really was the heart of it. And Alpha Flight, you know, as you'll discuss in another episode, I know, you know, first appeared in the X-Men and first appeared as an organized group in the X-Men. But but in their last most recent appearance in the appearance in the X-Men, which is X-Men 140, the issue ends with Department H being disbanded by Pierre Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, which I found really funny. 
Because as soon as I saw Prime Minister Trudeau, I, of course, thought of the super dreamy Justin Trudeau and yeah. was like, oh. And then I looked up Pierre Trudeau and I was like, oh, no, this, this <laughs> Pierre's not quite as dreamy. Um, <laughs> and so um, and so uh, Vindicator is standing in the remnants of Department H and he's reflecting on how their their recent Alpha Flight's recent battles with with Wendigo on when they fought alongside the X-Men and then thinking about how with Department H shutting down. It's Alpha Flight shutting down, but for the first time, we also learned that there was a Beta and a Gamma Flight, and they're shutting down as well. So what Vern is doing is, you know, planting some really interesting seeds of some future stories. When, you know, when the Department H is officially shut down, James flies home to be with his wife, Heather, who will, of course, become one of the main characters of the book moving forward. We check in on multiple members of Alpha Flight. There's kind of a, a few concurrent things running at once. North Star... Um, Jean-Paul uh, Bouvier, I think I'm saying his last name correctly. I say it's Bo one of those Bouvier, words. Because it sounds slightly less rude. You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right. It is Bouvier. You're right. Bouvier is probably how the kids in school made fun of him when he came to, to <laughs> Canada. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I. It's one of those words I've always I've read a million times that I've never said out. So so he's gone to visit his sister Jean Jean Marie, and uh, so that's a Nor- Aurora North Star. She's working at a, a nunnery, a school for girls where she was actually raised. So we check in on them. We've checked in on um, Walter Langowski, who is Sasquatch, and he's kind of out in the forest getting some Sasquatchian exercise. Uh, we check in on Eugene Judd, who is Puck, and he's working effectively as a bouncer at a bar. Yep. We check on um, Marina, who is off the coast of Newfoundland with a young man who's clearly romantically interested in her, but we won't learn about that for quite a while. And we get a little peek into the lives of Alpha Flight. While that is occurring... A uh, strange old man has entered the Canadian wilderness and has drawn the Canadian tundra, I should say, and has drawn a figure in the dirt and has placed a crown upon on his head and and in, is obviously evoking some sort of magic ritual. Uh, this ritual raised the great beasts of the north, tundra, to life, and he is a giant. I mean, just thousands of feet tall, and he is purely evil. He tells us that actually he should just be wearing a shirt that says, hi, I'm Tundra and I'm evil. <laughs> he says he's out to, you know, destroy the North, destroy the lands. He's been imprisoned for centuries. So his arrival draws Snowbird to, um, to his presence because she's actually a, a daughter of his ancient enemies. It draws Michael two young men who is shaman, who is a, a first nation medicine man, but also a medical doctor. Uh, the Sarsi, I, I actually don't know what they call first nation uh, is it tribes in Canada? I'm not sure that that, that might just be an American term. But... I don't know. It's something that I should have looked up because, uh, yeah, this comes up quite a lot. Uh, and I honestly don't know the correct terminology. So, yeah, uh, First Nations will stick with for the moment. That's that's the best one so far. We'll go with that. I, the First Nation part is right. I just don't know if, if tribe is. But we'll, we'll go. I, you know, I, I'm doing my best. So uh, we'll go with that. So the, the arrival of Tundra, call Snowbird, call Shaman. Guardian is called by a government contact who says, hey, can you please check this out? And as he flies away, not knowing that Shaman and, and Snowbird are there, Heather, and this is a, a, a really nice bit of storytelling by Byrne, Heather actually thinks, no, 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 Mac, I'm not letting you go alone. I'm going to call an Alpha Flight to back you up. And yeah. she puts in effectively punch cards, it's 1983, <laughs> in, into a computer to signal Alpha Flight. And she, there's a moment where Byrne has her recognize two names that are new to her. She says, oh, I don't know who Puck and Marina are, but... They seem to be Alpha Flight members. Let's go with that. Yeah. So the team assembles for the first time in a long time. Uh, they battle the monstrosity that is Tundra, who is just consuming Earth more and more as he treks across the Canadian uh, landscape. They each sort of individually try to fight him, which is a good way for Byrne to showcase their powers, but is also actually kind of typical of Alpha Flight. They're not the best at teaming up together. Yeah. And yeah. – uh, yeah, definitely not. They are not. Uh, they are not uh, a cohesive unit like the Avengers or the X Men, and, and I don't know that they ever really get to that place actually. Um, so they keep fighting. Eventually, they realize that if you're fighting a beast made of land, you can use the natural enemy of land, something like erosion. Yeah. And they come up with a really cool plan. North Star and Aurora fly in a cyclone around Tundra, and Shaman brings some rain, but that's not enough water. So Marina flies. She does this really cool water spout trick. And brings enough water where they're able to erode Tundra down to nothing. Uh, they have won the day, and they return back to Mac and Heather's house to sort of gather their wits, and, and they make a decision that they're going to stay together as a team. 
They're going to continue Alpha Flight. Uh, there's a really cute little moment about where, where we can talk about in more detail where they debate the name of the group going forward. Yeah. But it's a it's a nice first issue that really establishes, you know, here's when you last saw them in the X-Men. Here's what happened next. Here's a little showcase for each member and, and their powers. And then, you know, kind of a, a cute little wink at the reader at the end of like, and now off to our adventures. And yeah. that's Alpha Flight number one. Yeah, because it, it, it start instead of with uh, next issue, it starts with the beginning dot dot dot, uh, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, and it's a very Claremontian thing too. Byrne kind of, you know, as much as Chris Claremont and John Byrne would fight at times as as creators, uh, John Byrne borrowed a lot from Claremont. And Claremont tended to end issues like this with the beginning, so I thought it was kind of a cute little tip of the cap to Claremont as well. Yeah. Thank you for the synopsis. So there is a lot to cover in here. Um, what I would normally ask is, what do you particularly like about this issue? There, there's so much. There's so much to like. Um, <laughs> I know that's probably not the answer you wanted. You're like, no, no, dude, no, I need fine. you to focus. Uh, there is a lot to talk about. <laughs> and it's better to have lots to talk about that you like than you don't like. Because that, that's, that's that is true. Yeah. Though sometimes it's fun to podcast about really bad issues, too. Um, this is not one of those times. The So there are a couple of moments, a couple of things I like a lot. Uh, one of the things I really love is is the way that Byrne structures the issue as a, as a mini focus on each of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's if you read interviews with him and I know you're going to talk about the background of Alpha Flight in a later episode. But if you read interviews with Byrne, he had no interest in writing or drawing this book. He yeah, um, yeah he creates Alpha Flight, you know, or co-creates, I should say, even though he actually really did create most of the members. He creates Alpha Flight as a as a one-off as a team, and, and I think his literal quote is, "I just needed a team that could survive a fight with the X Men." And so, you know, he has them. He and Claremont have them fight the X Men and X Men. I think it's like 120, 121, and that's it. They're 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 just supposed to be a one-off. But the fan response was so immense that there was all of this clamoring again and again and again for an Alpha Flight book or some sort of exposure to the point where Alpha Flight, you know, started appearing in other comics and and in guest spots and then they you know came back in the x-men so so i one of the things i really think find so interesting about this is you know when Byrne finally did acquiesce when he was like you know what to jim shooter is a guy i'll write the book i i you know one of the things he talks pretty openly about is he had no no story in mind he didn't have like a big arc or story he wanted to tell so he's like well i just needed to make this as interesting for me as i could so i decided to give each of the characters like some sort of hook that I could get into. Yeah. So for me, that's what presents in this issue. So like, for example, one of the hooks that I really, really like, and, and this is probably the least interesting. There are more that we can talk about, but I really like the fact that Mac and Heather are married and are in a really healthy marriage where even though he's the superhero, she is absolutely his equal and, and actually in some ways really his better yeah. And I, I really always loved that about that. I've always loved that, that little bit of family in Alpha Flight. So that's one thing I, I, I kind of globbed onto right away. Yeah, it's interesting because most superhero stories, or at least the most famous ones, the superhero hides their identity. Um, whereas Hudson is never interested in not, in, in that. He's always very clear with everybody who he is. I suppose he's secret from the world around him, but it's not like Peter and Aunt May. <laughs> Um, trying to keep it a secret. Yeah, and that's it too. I I have no interest in another you know Superman Lois Clark triangle love triangle. You know I just I even though that that has its place and it can be fun and secret identities can be interesting. I just think you know hey it's 1983 like this is pretty uh it's a pretty interesting choice by Byrne to say like not only am I going to have a main character who's not overly concerned about secret identity. But he's going to be married to the love of his life, and she's going to be, you know, really right there with him, helping him process all of this. Because honestly, that's what a superhero would need the most, right? Like you would need yeah. a support structure, and you know, and, and Clark, my, in my mind, Superman very little interest in Superman stories, uh, you know, or before the Crisis on Infinite Earths mm. for a lot of reasons. But I got more interested in Superman honestly when he got married because I was like, wow, these two are way more interesting together. They're a great team. You know, a guy, a guy who carries the burden of Superman and then a woman who carries the burden of being like basically the, you know, top reporter in the country. They would need a support system. And I liked that. So I've always liked Mac and and Heather. And, 
you know, even though, um, it, which is bizarre considering my first issue of Alpha Flight, <laughs> though, <laughs> considering what happens to that relationship yeah. in my first issue of Alpha Flight. But I like that. I like that a lot. That, that's a, that's a fun relationship for me. Yeah, it is. And what I like about what something I've mentioned on other episodes of this is that, uh, the, the individual members of Alpha Flight aren't very easy to like. Um, there's always something about them which should put you off. Um, but with Heather, there isn't. Um, she is just she's a strong character. If you interpret strong female character the way it should be intended, which is she's well written and she's well fleshed out. Um, and I think it it shows Burns' skill as a writer that he's able to do that so quickly as well. Yeah, I agree. I think he establishes really immediately that she is home for James, and 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 because she's home for James for Mac. She becomes home for Alpha Flight, which, you know, obviously becomes even more important later on in the series. And, mm. and, and I, yeah, Byrne, you know, Byrne takes a lot of flack, deservedly in some cases. Um, if John Byrne had just never discovered the Internet, he, <laughs> I think, would be remembered very differently. Um, he would be remembered almost purely positively as a comic book creator. Uh, yeah. Sadly, though, he... Yeah, he discovered the Internet and it became his lawn, and he just yelled at all the young people to get off his lawn. Um I I really admire him because so he makes that choice with Heather and Mac and again Heather in particular being interesting but then there are some I mean other really interesting choices like like Puck is new Puck has not appeared in any of the other uh, amplified appearances yeah. at all and he's um you know he's got he's an achondroplastic dwarf yeah. and there's no you know he's got achondroplastic dwarfism I should say he is and there's no mincing about that like like Byrne says up front no, he has no superpowers, and they actually established that in issue two. He is just somebody who has taken what could have been a debilitating, you know, um, fact of his life, and has has turned it into a strength. And Byrne talked really openly about, like, you know what, like, not everybody gets a hero, and there are some groups, there are some, you know, populations where it's like, hey, you know what, they could use a hero too. And so Puck is, in his mind. You know, Puck is, and he's more than just this because he's also, I, in my opinion, the best character in Alpha Flight. <laughs> I think he's everybody's favorite Alpha. Yeah. Oh my God! Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. there's no way if, if you know. I think who your favorite member of Alpha Flight is says a lot about you. Um, and and you know, mine's Puck. People who like Snowbird the best, I'm a little leery of. I won't sit what? next to them are on buses. People, are there people in the world who like Snowbird? The best? <laughs> I think there are. Yeah, there are a couple. I think, and they're yeah, they're just strange. Uh, wow. But Puck has always been my favorite, and he <laughs> he's definitely. You know, Byrne said, like, look, I I didn't make him super powered. I wanted him to be who he was, and I wanted people to look at him and say, hey, look, he's, you know, taken this fact of his life and he's turned it into a strength. So that's, like, such an interesting choice, too. And then to also make the little guy the brawler, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much. And, but um, Byrne did that with North Star as well. He said there are gay characters, there are gay people, sorry, in the world. There should be a gay superhero. Here's one. Yeah, I did you. I know you said you came to Alpha Flight a little bit later. I yeah. I was buying it like I said off the racks about issue twelve. So I missed the there's a there's a Aurora North Star team up a couple issues between one and twelve. I, can't, I think it's six and seven. I don't remember the exact issues off the top of my head. That's familiar. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, issue three has that great Aurora cover, the black and white one with yes. the bars. And um, so anyway, it's where we find out that that. North Star had been a Quebec separatist in his previous life. But it's funny because if you go back and reread those issues, it seems like Aurora is discovering the fact that her brother was, you know, a, a separatist, which, you know, I guess at the time in Canada would be equivalent to terrorist. I don't I don't know enough about the politics to use that word comfortably. So I I'm just going to say separatist. Yeah, I think that's that's near enough. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, he was involved in some some violence, you know, yep. and some crime. But if you go back and reread that issue. They're talking to a, a, a man who was, you know, influential in North, in North Star's youth, and they keep talking about this secret and what Aurora discovered. And you go back and read it, and you're like, oh, they're only half talking about the separatist part. She's also discovering her brother is gay. Yeah, and, and I, I can't I, remember I, specific examples, but I'm sure she teases him about it as well uh, in other issues. Um, she yeah, she does as well. And you know, not in a great way either. I mean, no. it's 1983, so we have to be—we can't be too anachronistic. But, uh, but at least you know, Byrne does 
put put it forward as much as he can. You know, the Comics Code Authority won't let him, unfortunately, just say, hey, this is a gay character. But I, I so my first exposure to it, though, so I missed those two issues until a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But there's an issue. I think it's issue 20. It's with Gilded Lily. She's yes. the, the villain. Yeah, and it's, you know, uh, Walter and, and Aurora have gone off on a little vacation and they encounter this Gilded Lily character. But at one point, North Star is, is called to come and help. And there's clearly a, like a pool party or something happening. And it's all young men. Yeah. And I remember, I vividly remember, I think it's literally one panel, maybe two. I remember reading that and going, Oh, okay. He's gay and, and picking up <laughs> on it kind of early. And it was really, and honestly, it was powerful for me because, you know, while I happen to be heterosexual, I grew up with a number of people who are not. And, and, you know, we were growing up at a time where that was a very dangerous secret. And I was a person who they, you know, a few people chose to share that with, which, you know, is obviously a big honor. Mm. And I remember being like, oh, this is important. Like, this is a big deal. And so I just thought everybody knew he was gay. And then, you know, it wasn't till many years later. And I, you know, you've, you've talked about issue 106. Yeah. The, you know, yes, I am gay, um, which is about as indelicately as, as that, <laughs> that issue could have been handled. Yeah, revealed while fighting a Mountie. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And not in, not in any way that's cool either. Like not like I, I no. no, you could have had to reveal it while following Mountie in a way that would have been great. But but no, no, it's not handled as super well. Again, we don't want to be too harsh. You know, it's it was a little bit of a different time. But and you know, but anyway, Burn deserves real credit because we have you know North Star so is gay. Yeah. yeah, and then even his sister, like like Aurora. Prior to this appearance, prior to issue one, we hadn't really had much, if any, indication that she has dissociative identity disorder. Like. This is the first time we're really encountering somebody with legitimate mental illness. Now I know, you know, there's Moon Knight from Marvel, mm. and he also has that same that same um, diagnosis, but his is played much more. I don't know. It's much more like spycraft. Like sometimes he pretends to be a cabbie, and sometimes he pretends to be a rich guy, and no one ever stops and goes, "Oh, oh, that's not healthy." Yeah. Like <laughs> we, you know, maybe we shouldn't. And Aurora was the first time I encountered like, oh, you know, here's somebody with, you know, here's a neurodiverse person as a hero. And, you know, and again, Byrne plays it up for drama quite a bit. But even even that, like I just if you look at the members of Alpha Flight, you're like, wow, this is not the Avengers. Yeah. You know, this is not Fantastic Four, which is one of the reasons I think it's so memorable. I think it's one of the reasons why you like people have created podcasts to it because it's just so it was so different from what was on the racks. Yeah, uh, and Tony, uh, um, when I spoke to Tony Esmond about 22, um, he said that um, you were always slightly worried about them because they weren't like the Avengers. If you, there's a good chance they're going to get hurt in a fight rather than come out of it without a scratch. Um, uh, in issue two, Puck gets disemboweled. <laughs> um, By his teammate. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Okay, let's have a look at what else happens in this issue. I would like to quickly touch upon how amazing Tundra looks as on on the page. Um for people who haven't seen it, it's a, it's a gigantic mountain with arms and legs essentially. Um but it hasn't been colored at all. So where the rest of the issue has been colored, Tundra stands out in black and white. Um and shadow, uh, and it's for someone with my sort of aesthetic sensibility, I like sort of grimy photocopied looks, and he really matches up to that. Um, and Byrne plays around with panel sizes and placement to make him look even more massive as well, which I think is really cool. Um, I don't know what page it is, but there's a full page of Tundra, and then in increasingly sized boxes there's Sasquatch moving down his body uh, in three panels which get bigger um, but you really get a sense of how massive Tundra is as an adversary um, uh, and yeah I think um, when I spoke to Ken he mentioned how good he looks as well um, there's something very outside that uh, in his appearance well, I think that's a really interesting way to put it I yeah, there's an otherness to him, like a, a, a foreignness, which is supposed, I mean, it makes perfect sense for the character because he's a great beast of the North. And I, I really liked the, you know, talking about the way he depicts Tundra. One of the things I love about Byrne 
is his art is so clean. I mean, he is there. There's just no one like Byrne, especially Byrne in the eighties. Mm. His art is so clean and it's so crisp and, and it's, it's really, it's really beautiful and, and it's modernist in, in, in a way. But when Byrne dials up the horror, it's in such stark contrast to his cleanliness and to his clean lines that it stands out even more in a weird way. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like the best horror is horror set in the mundane, right? It's not yeah. some, you know, foreign planet. It's walking into your kitchen and seeing something foreign in it that, you know, couldn't possibly be there. And that juxtaposition is what is so terrifying. And for me, there's a couple panels like that too. Yeah. You called it the tundra, the full page splash of him sort of stretching out, you know, the one after his hand is coming up and forming. Yeah. And then he is fully formed and you realize like, oh, this is like, this is a, an extinction level event. Like this is not just some bad guy of the week. This is some horror that they've awoken that's been, you know, under the earth the whole time. And I, I think Byrne accentuates that because he cuts back at one point to the man, the, the sort of crazed man who raised Tundra mm. and his body is just burned and, um, you know, it's, it's already sort of, you know, it, you know, it's, it, there's just a putrefaction and the, and the, 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 he doesn't hide from the reality of what a really desiccated burned body would look like. <laughs> no. And it, it kind of reminds me of like that scene in Star Wars with Aunt, Aunt, uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, you yeah. know, when they return back to the, to Luke's home. Yep. And it's that dichotomy of like big, set piece superhero action really horrific moment and yeah i love that i love what burn does with this and and tundra is terrifying he and and he should be and i think he he sells it well yeah uh, and also in terms of the horror aspect um one thing that always gets gives me the chills is when you see someone performing ritual magic which to the detriment of their health do you know what I mean? So you get oh, yeah. in some horror things, you get someone doing a ritual, but it's just like a piece of magic. But this guy, whoever he is, I'm not even sure if he ever gets a name, but um, he's spent time out there starving himself and getting ready for this thing. He's just driven to do something horrible. Um, yeah, uh, and that always freaks me out. I think I think Mantlo does something similar in another issue, but I can't remember off the top of my head if I've imagined that or not. Um, yeah. When the guy, the, the man, you're right, he doesn't get a name, which I think is purposeful. Mm. The man who, who does raise Tundra, at one point when Shaman enters the battle, he's like, oh, I'm going to psychically contact whatever the human was who raised Tundra, because Shaman understands the logistics behind it. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to psychically reach out to that soul, and if I can, like, you know, ignite that soul, it'll, it'll cause Tundra to fall. And that, just goes awry immediately because shaman's like oh whoever this man was he had such a, a diminished soul he was such a diminished human that he's already been extinguished he's already been engulfed by tundra yeah. so this won't work and even that's kind of horrific you're like oh man like a, you know to have allowed your life to get to the point where you're snuffed out so quickly it just it plays on a lot of different levels and again it's, it's just burn making interesting choices of like hey this isn't going to be some easy battle where you think you can predict how it's going to end, like, going to make a couple more interesting choices while I'm on, along the way. Yeah. Um, talking about interesting choices, though, um, we, uh, after this man uh, finishes his ritual, we cut to um, Dr. Two Young Men in his office who has the, the boiled dressed skull of his grandfather in a box. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not something you do in the United Kingdom? Is that is that oh, just no, a purely we do. I just thought it was North American thing? For, yeah, I just thought it was different for Canada. We do that all the time. Um. <laughs> it is it is so bizarre that he's just up on a shelf and he's and, it, and even the it's it's so weird. He's like grandfather. He's calling out and you're like, oh, his grandfather's in the next room or something. No, no, he's in the box on the shelf and he's glowing. It's yeah, you're right. It's yeah. so bizarre. <laughs> and he's got a special box as well with it's got two flaps which open. Um, rather than just take the lid off, you take the lid off and then a flap <laughs> open, so you get a full, a full uh, frontal view of the, of the grandfather's skull. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really uh, it's an interesting moment to establish, you know, shaman's connection to the spiritual realm. Um, I found it really funny too, honestly. Upon reread in prepping for today. I don't know why it had never jumped out at me, but I was like, oh, dude, he just keeps a skull on the shelf. Like, you know, as if no, like, does he not share that office? Does like, you know, does the cleaning crew not, not come in at night? And, you yeah. know, like, cause that would be bizarre. 
Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Shame is an interesting character. Um, he, because he's quite, um, he's quite boring in many ways. Um, but I was, I was saying to Tony, he, he's constantly making catastrophic mistakes. Um, oh, yeah. So, and then not, he sort of tries to live with them by not, yeah, anyway. His mistakes well, I, have actually... a different issue. I think it's, I think you're hitting on something even bigger though. It's not just Shaman. Alpha Flight is, is most often its own worst enemy. I mean, they, you know, like the great beasts, this initial one, you know, Tundra comes because this man called him, but you find out later that one of the reasons the great beasts are coming again and again, they're like one of the major antagonists of Burns Run is because of Snowbird's presence, because she's a, a daughter of the gods who imprisoned the great beasts yeah. and her presence on earth is sort of a magnet for them. There's a whole connection later to Sasquatch. Um, Shaman makes a series of mistakes that have some catastrophic results. You know, the main enemies of Alpha Flight, the other main enemies are Gamma Flight, which are, or um, excuse me, Omega Flight, yep. which is made up of the remnants of, you know, Gamma and Beta Flight. Like, so if you really actually look at their, if you look at this book as a whole, as often as not, whatever they're fighting, they had a hand in creating. Yeah. Uh, and they're their own worst enemies. And and you called it earlier. They often do get really hurt. Like this isn't like your typical comic. There are real repercussions to their fights, which is one of the reasons it's reading Alpha Fights. It's kind of like watching a, a car crash in a way. Like, you know, it's coming. You hope it's not as bad as it could be, but you kind of can't turn away. Yeah. And you don't know what that says about you as much as it says about the book itself. Yeah. Uh, and some really horrific things happen to the heroes in this book. Um, not not in this issue, but um, generally in the series, um, especially when Matlow takes over, there's some horrible things which happen to them that they've not got any control over, really. Uh, and it's down to the choices that they've made. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Snowbird now. Um, oh, yeah. And what happens with her. Um, yeah. Well, Matlow, I... I, sorry, I, I read the, the Mantlo issues as they were coming out, yeah. and that was such a departure from Burns' run that I had real trouble with it when it first started. I, I almost dropped the book, and I, I stuck with it because I liked the characters, and I'm glad I did. But it was only recently, a, 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 actually a person I do a show with, uh, Greg Arujo, uh, he and I do a podcast together. We were talking about Alpha Flight because we both love this book too, and he's like, oh yeah, you know, he's like, it's just so interesting to me that John Byrne does this like quirky superhero take. And then Bill Mantlo comes on and just tells a horror story. And I was like, yeah. whoa, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, he's like, Mantlo was doing horror. He's like, just take a look at how much body horror there is in that mm-hmm. book. You know, how much, um, you know, just physical, like, like invasive, like physical things happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, um, know, Mr. Jeffrey's brother, what's he called? Scram. Yes. His power is that's he exactly. Can, he can transmute flesh, which is so Cronenberg. Um, yes. Yeah. It's uh yeah and exactly and I until Greg pointed that out to me until he said no it's a horror book I was like oh my god so I actually went back and reread it and I have a much greater appreciation for Mantlo's run now because he's right it's it's just disturbing on a lot of levels yeah I mean it is it's totally different um he takes the character I think he misses the core of some of the characters um but at the same time he tells interesting stories so uh, sometimes I might come across as if I'm quite negative about Bill Mantlo's run on Alpha Flight. But I actually really like it. Um, it is just a different set of characters almost. Um, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. You're right, it is. They they really do become separate. They become different from the burn run. But, but yeah. actually on some levels, just as compelling. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'll never forgive him for what he did for to Roger Box. Um Turning him into sort yeah. of a pathetic whiny baddie. That was that was a bad call in my uh, in my opinion. But and yeah, sorry, I can't, we can't keep on doing this. I'm allowing us <laughs> to not talk about Alpha Flight issue one. Um, so <laughs> uh, what else happens in this? So um, was there anything else that you wanted to say about this particular issue? Is there anything that you didn't like particularly? You know, I think I, I like it in its because I understand what it is because it's a first issue, and it came out four years after their most recent appearance in X Men, and and so Byrne had a really weird job to do because this issue is set two weeks after X Men One Forty, and X Men One Forty came out four years prior to that, and and you know there's a weird little story behind that in that 
you know, when they appear again in, in X-Men, there's again this really big buzz. And Jim Shooter, the editor in chief at Marvel, says to John Byrne, like, look, we we're doing an Alpha Flight book. And there's clearly a lot of buzz for it, and they're your characters, and they're Canadian, so you should do this. And Byrne will say in interviews, he held off and held off and held off because he had just no interest in writing this book. He didn't have any you know, great stories to tell, like I said earlier. And then finally, Shooter's like, well, we're going forward with the book with or without you. And Byrne's sort of – and he's funny about it. He says it's kind of an ego thing cause he's like, well, these are my characters, I don't, and I don't like the way they've appeared in other books so far. So he's like, all right, I'll do it. And then he also says, and you got to burn credit for admitting this, he knew the buzz was big enough that that they were going to make a lot of money. And in fact, the first issue of Alpha Flight, issue one, this issue sold 500,000 copies, um, you know, which is why you find it in discount bins all yeah. over. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, if you go if you go to any comic book store in America and you go to their like 50 cent bin, there's a there's a copy of early Alpha Flight issues. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, he's you know, so so his job is bizarre because he's like, OK. I have to tell the story that immediately follows a comic book that came out four years ago that I can assume the majority of people who are reading this issue did not read. Hmm. I have to introduce these new characters who are actually not new because they've met them in X-Men three times now for Vindicator. Hmm. But I have to introduce them as if they're new because it might be somebody's first issue. I have to showcase their powers and their quirks, and I have to tell a good enough story to make people want to come back. But also, I have to tell a good enough story that I want to come back. So I think about all of those pressures at play for Byrne in this issue. And and while it is not the greatest first issue ever written, I do think he accomplishes all his goals. Like, like I definitely would have come back for issue two, and I do think he lays enough groundwork for a really interesting book. But I also think – I think you can sense his his tension. I think when you read Alpha Flight, you can sense the fact that he is not fully on board. But in, in a weird way, I think it makes the book better. I think it's one of the things that makes it interesting. Yeah. Oh, I mean, one of the things that makes uh, Burns' work on this interesting for me is that um, he was obviously on, under a lot of pressure because he was doing this and Fantastic Four at the same time. Um, you wouldn't know it from Alpha Flight 1 uh because he puts a lot of time and effort into rendering everything uh he does a lot of drawing uh that's a technical term a lot of drawing <laughs> um <laughs> but he he doesn't scrimp on any details that he thinks are necessary so tundra is very detailed um when we first see james and heather's house he's he's really uh, he, he's drawn every tile on their roof uh which you don't need to do as a cartoonist um and, and gradually as the series goes on he finds ways to reduce his workload so that he doesn't have to draw as much. And for, for me, as a creator, that's um, that's as interesting as the story he's telling, the way that the, the, the process behind him telling them. Um, but yeah, th this uh, so many panels in this are absolutely beautiful, how much effort he's put into, into rendering everything. Um, yeah, I really like it. <laughs> Yeah, I do too, and I I think Byrne gets a lot of flack in later years for not, not drawing backgrounds, you know, for having just an isolated character against like a one color, you know, monochromatic background. Yeah. But I think in this book, he he does something interesting because you if you look the characters who characters who are, are you know singled out with no background, it tends to be when they're alone, and it tends to be or when they're feeling alone, and I think that's really cool. I think it's. I think he's making a stylistic choice. I mean, I think you're right. There's some efficiency there, there as well. Yeah, I, I but mean, he, yeah. like you said, he's not concerned about efficiency here. No, and the thing about that is, that I have absolutely no problem with someone not drawing a background because if you know where they are, unless that background is telling the story, it's it's there to make the page look nicer. Uh, and comics mm. are a story. Uh, well, comics can be, and in this instance, are a storytelling medium rather than a looking pretty medium. Um, so I, I'm aware of that as a criticism of Burns' work, but I have absolutely no problem with it. If anything, I admire him for, for doing it so well. Yeah, and I think he does it purposefully. I think I don't think he gets enough credit for how much he thinks about craft and the process, and and um, especially as an artist. I mean, he's just amazing. And then also, honestly, too, he does not get enough credit as a writer. I mean, you know, considering. The books he was on, his Fantastic Four run is the best Fantastic Four run. I mean, you know, you could argue Lee and Kirby are better, is better, but I, it's my favorite Fantastic Four run ever. And then I, the, and then his version of Alpha Flight is my favorite version of Alpha Flight. So I, you know, I think he's, 
I, I you know, I think he deserves a, a lot more credit for, for his, yeah, you know, I've creative read a lot of his Fantastic Four actually. Um, and one, <laughs> my biggest bugbear with it is that, um, Johnny Storm is constantly calling Reed brother-in-law. Like every t- he doesn't just call him Reed or anything like he just he's constantly my brother in law. And it winds me up so much. It just <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. That's an interesting peccadillo. Like it's a you're right, it's not something that normally people would say in dialogue, but it is yeah. it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing to <laughs> to grab onto. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. I we've talked about this for quite a long time now, I think. Um I'm just flicking through backwards and forwards, trying to see if there's anything else that jumps out. Um, oh, what one thing that we haven't discussed is Marina's brother, um, who, who turns up on one page. Um, he is a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> In the yeah, he's clearly in love with her, even though. He's her adopted brother, um, and it doesn't sit <laughs> well with me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little. It, it's <laughs> it's not a little. It is weird. It is. I, I don't. Do you? Um, have you ever watched the Flash? That the TV show? No, I've not. Um, I don't know if you guys get it. Yeah, we do. Okay, get it. so there. So there's a, a. Oh, okay. So there's a Flash TV show, and and it's it's actually ninety percent percent of it's really well done and you know it's a really good show it's fun but but barry allen is the main character he's the flash and iris west is his love and they get married except in this particular telling of the flash barry allen's parents their mom dies when he's like 11 and his dad has got sent to jail and joe west adopts him so he grows up with iris for a you know a good portion of his life as his adoptive sister and yet he's always been in love with her and they yeah. get married and i am st- so weirded out by the fact that people aren't weirded out by it like i like they'll like they'll they'll show a scene and joe will say oh my two kids i'm so happy you found love together and i'm like no 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 you're not like no you are not happy they found love together because if you think of them as your son and daughter then you have just like that you have just crossed a big line you know and so yeah i um there is a there is definitely a creepiness i think it's also the fact that they're standing out on this like craggy outcropping in newfoundland and yeah. you know he looks like the gordon's fisherman and you know and, and he's just you know thinking about how you know deeply he loves her and she's clearly like not <laughs> returning those feelings on any level no, so yeah he's, he's a just creep totally unaware of it <laughs> she even yeah. calls him by his full name dan smallwood um not even just dan dan smallwood it's you yeah, I think um, I, I want to give him a little credit. I feel like maybe in Newfoundland there's only four girls, and so maybe <laughs> you know, maybe geographically there's just you know if there's something that appears that's even remotely female, you know, they're you're gonna feel some attraction to it if you, if that's the way you lean. But um, no, it's weird. It's a weird thing to <laughs> to. And and honestly too, it's the most characterization Marina's gonna get in the entire series other than her whole plot X plot, which you will get to discuss in great detail as you go yeah. through health light because yeah. Marina is a plot X and you're going to hear that again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. And again. Um, yeah. There's not a, yeah, there's not a lot to Marina, unfortunately, um, except for every now and again, she will turn bad, <laughs> um, which is a pity. Yeah. But she doesn't, she's not, Although yeah, she kind of... is an Alpha Flight member, she's not in it very much. She barely registers. Yeah, I forget about her, to be honest with you. If you ask me the sort of core lineup, I almost always forget her. In fact, I think of her more as an Alpha Flight villain. You know, not yeah. villain as in, like, evil intentions, but an, an antagonist, definitely. Yeah, I don't think of her as a as a member very often. And also, too, because she's just so... She's just so two-dimensional. I mean, she gets the one note. She gets the Plodix storyline. Uh, but it, that storyline is just driven into the ground. So to the point where, honestly, I almost wish they'd go back to the creepily incestuous adopted brother. <laughs> like, you know, at least give her another storyline. Like, I don't know. It's not something I want to see more of, but I want to see less of the Plodix storyline. When I was speaking to um, Tony, I think it was Tony Esmond, um, he mentioned that Marina gets a lot more time in Namor when John Byrne takes over Namor. Um, and he said, uh, and apparently that that's 
that's much better and and she's handled better as a character but um i've i've not gone anywhere near that as a reader yet so i couldn't speak to that yeah i don't i remember her in the avengers you know there's she crosses over there because of uh the submariner mm. but uh i don't yeah i don't remember the namor series very well it's it's i remember the art because it's burn yeah. and i remember namor you know namor being sort of an arrogant jerk but that could just be any memory of namor over the last <laughs> you know 40 years <laughs> i'm not sure that's specific to burn's run but yeah, yeah she's she's a she's not a character i love no no everyone loves puck um oh yeah <laughs> yeah um okay i think at that point we'll draw a conversation about alpha flight one to a close um thank you so much for coming on uh it's always good to have someone on who knows much much more about alpha flight than i do Um, (laughs) (laughs) because it means that um yeah someone's right occasionally Which is is a rare feat for me, so I appreciate the the opportunity. <laughs> um, if people would like to find you on the internet or, or anywhere else after this episode, where can they do that? So I co-host a couple of podcasts um, on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. Uh, it's Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars and Beyond, where we cover the Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars miniseries. We've actually covered all of Volume 1. We are about to launch into Marvel Super Hero Secret Wars Volume 2, which is most famous for Spider-Man teaching the Beyonder how to poop. And uh, <laughs> we are having a lot of fun <laughs> with that. We And, and we will actually will cover Volume 3 as well. Uh, I co-host that with Gregor Rougeau. Uh, we have a show called Welcome to Astro City, where we – it's an indexing show where we cover each issue of Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson's Astro City book from Image, which is phenomenal. And a couple other shows that I, you know, guest on here and then, here and there, but it's the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, and you can find the shows on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sean42AZ. Not super inventive, but that's where I'm at. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, love to hear from people who listen to the show and who'd like to talk a little bit more Alpha Flight. It'd be great. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Um, if anybody would like to find me, um, and don't already know, um, my name's Gareth A. Hopkins. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Gerthink, which is spelt G-R-T-H-I-N-K. You can buy some of my comics at my store, which is gerthink.bigcartel.com. And, uh, yeah, listen out for new episodes about the podcast. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And, yes, uh, we